0: to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's such a pleasure today to be with someone who has an incredibly stellar reputation and education circles. And I'm really excited about having a conversation about all the great work she's done and a, a change in her career. Sean Carey, how are you doing today?
1: Just fine, Josh. Thanks for having me. Thanks for those kind words.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you taking time. Uh, You've recently transitioned into a new position. And this is good for me, too, to talk to you. Because as you know, as a reporter, when I have spoken to you, it's usually quick and under pressure and under deadline. And you've got a million things to do. And I'm like, I need a quote by the end of the day. And That's just the nature of the the journalism that uh, I do. And it's just part of how it goes. So in this format, this is really cool because we're able to just have a good conversation and talk about what's going on. Sean, you have recently left a position with Santa Barbara Unified School District as assistant superintendent of secondary education. And uh, before that, you were principal at Dos Pueblos High School. And I'm not joking or just saying that because you're on the show, really incredible reputation. Whenever your name comes up in my reporting circles, they, they talk about how you love kids, you put kids first, how uh, focused you are on improving so much of the important issues that we're talking about from social emotional health to Uh, improve to, um, you know, performance in the schools, and just nurturing a a great environment in the school system. And you did that as principal and as a member of the cabinet. So um, you have that about you. And that's what makes it really honorable for me to have the opportunity to talk to you. Let's talk though, first, you left the district, you took a job at the Santa Barbara County Office of Education. Let's start there. Sean, what, what happened? Why'd you leave?
1: Uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, it, it's widely known that there's there's been an unusually high number of departures of administrators from Santa Barbara Unified over the past two years. And I do think it's important and healthy to examine that and to and in a, in a responsible way. There's certainly some some reporting out there that's, um, I think, been particularly reprehensible or certainly maybe has violated the ethics of the journalism field. Yeah. Um You know, part of it is also, I think that it's widely known that there's been sweeping changes over the last couple of years, and many of those changes, I think it's important to say um, most of them even, are driven by a desire to improve outcomes for students and potentially, you know, use some new approaches and strategies for that, um, some of which I think have been sorely needed and are very welcome, um, and with a particular eye toward doing that for students who have been traditionally underserved. So my experience is that the vast majority of staff at Santa Barbara Unified are, are, you know, wholly behind, you know, the changes that are that are of that nature. Um, There also have been changes just in organizational culture and practice. And it became clear to me over time that those changes uh, were just not so compatible with uh, the practices that I've cultivated over time and in our local context. Um, And, you know, that. Those professional differences combined with just, you know, sort of uh, some reflecting on what's best for the well-being of my family prompted me to pursue what really is a new growth opportunity for me at Santa Barbara County Education Office.
0: Sean, I want to ask you a couple of questions about your time in the district. You've spent 25 years plus in the district in multiple roles. Talk to me about what you enjoyed most about your time.
1: Uh, what comes across to me immediately when I think about Santa Barbara Unified and my experience with it is, is a sense of community and hands down. And even as I say that, I want to talk about the fact that my understanding of what that means has, has really changed and I would say expanded and become more complex over time. Um, I first started working in Santa Barbara Unified Schools in 1996 <laughs> as, a, as a paraeducator, a classified staff member at Santa Barbara High School. Um, I went on to be a student teacher at Santa Barbara Junior High and San Marcos High School. And then, of course, um, Dos Pueblos High School, I had the good fortune to student teach with the incomparable Elena Oliveira, and then I was ultimately hired there as a teacher in 1998. Um, And every one of those early experiences with those different Santa Barbara secondary schools, I encountered people who were very positive and who were very clearly connected in a common concern about students and care for students. So that was, you know, just something that immediately was really attractive to me about, um, I think just about schools in general, but but I think uniquely true in Santa Barbara Unified with the sense of community running as deep as it does here. And then at the same time, it was hard for me not to notice, um, you know, Groups, individuals of groups or groups of people that we might have, uh, might say or have said, you know, we're sort of more in the margins, at least in the margins as I saw them from how school personnel would talk about or refer to a referral to school community. And I mean students and families and even also staff members who uh, maybe didn't fit a certain image or uh, definition of what it meant to be part of the school community. And so I've really just most enjoyed over these couple decades (laughs) and then some, just being able to participate in and and hopefully contribute to this ever-expanding idea of what community is and means. Um, And it plays out, you know, in all these ways. It plays out at the level of the classroom, but also school-wide or across the whole district. And it plays out in academic spaces and extracurricular spaces, but it also plays out in policies like attendance policies and communication practices um also in hallways and bathrooms and parking lots, you know, just it's just everywhere in big and small ways and in overt and subtle ways. So we have to be continually examining who belongs, who you know really has a seat at the table. And I feel like schools more than any other place must welcome everyone and, and make sure that they have that sense of, of both welcome and I'm even going to say radical welcome and belonging. Um, I don't think we've arrived, but I see us strenuously, wor- you know, working on, on that um, in Santa Barbara Unified, and and I'm that's the part I've I've enjoyed seeing the most.
0: That's great. It's it's hard to summarize probably when you look at the totality of everything you've been involved. But are there specific accomplishments that you can point to that took place during your your, your tenure. Um, I know that DP has been pretty, pro- Dos Pueblos has been pretty, pretty progressive in terms of some of its policies while you were there.
1: Mm-hmm. What are some
0: of the accomplishments that you can point to specifically? Uh,
1: yeah, I think some of the ones I would um, highlight that, ca- that connect to that last point have to do with our in, uh, practices around parent engagement um, I really want to give credit to, to Linda Boreña, uh, to United Parents, Padres Unidos, um, also Sal, and their parent education uh, programming, but also just approaches. So things like language access, you know, I, one of the real hallmarks of Santa Barbara Unified is just their exemplary practices around language access. So interpretation and translation of meetings and documents, Um and really, DP was the model for that, and then it was a model that was brought to scale district wide uh, because of you know thanks to the folks I've already um, you know credited with that, uh, and that has to do with not just you know having interpretation translation, but really, really how that's executed, and there are cultural differences and how people are greeted or, or welcomed into spaces um, physically or otherwise. So that would be that would be an example I'd want to highlight. Um, uh, another one was uh, a, a group that started uh, at DP, but there are lots of expressions of this across the district. And um, it, it's a group that was called Allies for Equity, and it did have every kind of educational partner there. We had community members who didn't have students in the school, but just had a vested interest in seeing more equitable practices in our schools. Um, lots of student involvement and in voice, which of course was at the core. Uh, and, and really drove uh, the things that we wanted to examine as a committee. Um, and also some of the changes we ended up affecting uh, during the time that I was principal there and that have gone on to have you know, real, real staying power. So those and are some examples from, from DP.
0: I would imagine that when you go into education, you're doing it because you want to be close to on the ground, kids, success, their development, their learning. Of course, you started as a teacher and you know that's what happens. You keep getting promoted, promoted, promoted. And all of a sudden you're, you're in the cabinet and you're still doing the same work, but from, from different angles. And so can you talk to me a little bit about the differences between being on site, on a campus and having that school community versus the really important district-wide work you're doing as a member of the cabinet and how you were able to sort of transition or balance or just sort of adjust to all that?
1: Yeah, sure. It's a really interesting question. And there were some surprises when I made that transition. Um, first of all, I think the thing that that surprised me the most almost immediately was I had to relearn how to be a member of a team again. You know, I sort of had this notion that I was a really great team member. I've always been in, you know, in sports and things like that. But um, being the principal, and and I imagine being the superintendent and folks who've been superintendents have confirmed this for me. It's I, I mean, I'm convinced that high school principal is probably the, the hardest, best job I'll ever have, you know, even though I have many years left in my career in education, hopefully. It's incredibly um, you know, apart from the long hours and being on 24-7, which our principals really are, particularly high school principals. So give them a shout out, everybody, when you see them. Um, it's challenging and it can be really lonely. Um, but it's also incredibly gratifying and, um, I guess, stimulating. So, uh, but there's a real buck stops here aspect to that job. And when you transition to being a member of the cabinet, being assistant superintendent, you really ins- are sort of more in a in a best, in a supporting actor, actress kind of role in an executive context. It is different. Um, and just a funny story that surprised me right away too, and it connects back to what your question was, is um, soon after I kind of got installed in my second floor office of the district office. I you know, walked down the hall mid-morning and a colleague of mine was down there and said, oh, I didn't, I didn't hear you come in this morning. And I said, oh, do you hear me when I come in in the morning? She said, oh, well, yeah, I always hear you. And I just thought, well, I don't think I'm that loud a person, but the district office is just so quiet compared to a site where so many things are happening. And yeah. I just always made it a point to be at sites as much as I could, because that's really where where our learners are and where those who are, are serving them are. And it's really important to stay connected in that way. I think the other thing that people would be interested to hear about is just sort of, um, or, or something that I've observed is just, you know, really thinking about how both roles are somewhat political, yeah. but in different ways. Um, when you're a high school principal, when you're a principal period, everyone is the, that is part of your school community is your constituent by definition. So you you have to be a, a principal for everyone. Um, that's your obligation. and That's that, and you know, morally and professionally. And when you get to the to the district level, um, and I'm still learning about this. I've had excellent mentors, but I'm still learning it, Learning about sort of the design that's in the, the checks and balances design that that goes into school governance. You know, the fact that a board is is constituted is composed of elected officials, and sort of you know what all that means if we want to be all moving forward together with a common vision and understanding of what's best for for young people. So still learning about that part, but that was another shift also. The best part about being at the district office, though, was and in the role of assistant superintendent was really just working with principals. I've already told you about my feelings about that role, yeah. um, you know, supporting them, being a thought partner, or just a, you know, sounding board, um, helping to help us all work smarter, even as we work hard, you know, those kinds of things um were, were the best parts of my job.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's such a important job and as you know you don't have to say anything here but as a journalist and you know on those Tuesday Tuesdays and then all the emails that administrators get it can be a really tough job because parents care about their kids and they will um, express themselves and a lot of times the easy targets are the administrators and uh, people who they perceive as being uh, the source of a problem and you know, as you know, uh, sometimes parents have points and sometimes it's emotional and you've got to hear it all and you've got to navigate all of that. So it's a real tough spot to, to be in for sure. And so it's not all just, uh, oh, wow, they're a big member of the cabinet now. There's, there's a lot of uh, responsibility that comes with that. and You know, from, from my reporting and talking to other people, you've, you've handled that well. Can we talk a little bit about you Um, and then I'm going to transition into like how you got into education in the first place, but who is Sean Carey, Can can you talk about your family and you have children and sort of how do you navigate having these important jobs and still managing and being part of a family.
1: Oh well, that's a work in progress too. <laughs> um, I'm sure others would say it. I'm not the only one to say, it. and I think that happens a lot when you have a job that is—it's more than a job. It's—it's it's a vocation, and—and and I appreciate what your comment just was about the people who are serving at the cabinet level. I found that to be true to a person. You know, they weren't just—you know—filling a role, but really bringing their best integrity um, and and work ethic and the and the board and you know everyone that that we have in, in leadership. I'm learning, you know, in districts across the county, too, as I'm, I'm newly learning. Um, so, yeah, I, I came to Santa Barbara back in 96, like I just alluded to. And um, like a lot of folks, I was going to stay a year and head back to the East Coast where I'm from. And that year turned into two and turned into going to grad school at UCSB. And, um, you know, I was a, I was a rower in, in college. And so I found myself on the beach and, you know, kind of sniffing around the outrigger canoe scene and had a friend invite me to participate in that. Um, and did that, did a lot of, you know, what seemed to me now to be extreme things at the time, (laughs) but, you know, things like paddling to the islands and, you know, those did a lot of that kind of thing. And that's where I met my my wife, Carola. We met through that experience is, is why I'm explaining that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, um, have been really fortunate, I think, to just have a lot of, of supporters and champions. I mean, being a member of, of the LGBT community and, and my whole family is, you know, is, is a member of that community is not without its even significant challenges sometimes, but we feel really fortunate to live in a place where we feel like we can do that in community and in a way that we can be open and, and honest um, with ourselves and in the community and in our professional lives. Um, We have three kids 12, and we have twins that are 10. And um, yeah, I was, I, I had three kids under two. been <laughs> the first two years, I was a high school principal. And I just thought, you know, I remember thinking at that time, since you asked about work life balance, you know, I really want to be part of reimagining the world such, such that it's the world where where, you know, somebody who's a high school principal can be a mom, and somebody who's a mom can think that they can be a high school principal, because I didn't see a lot of examples of that, and I still don't see a ton of examples of that, although they, they're they out there. Um, and I hope I help move the needle in terms of just, you know, that being a, a proof of, of concept, you know, the fact that that can happen. Um, uh, and I, I don't regret that, but I would uh, be remiss not to say that it came with its with its tolls. It took a, it took a toll, right? There's trade offs to all of those decisions, and at every juncture along the way, I think that's what I've tried to become wiser and wiser about is to really understand, you know, how to be, you know, the, your best self personally, so that you can be your best self professionally. And when there's a lot of overlap between those two things, that can get a little tricky, but it can also um it can also bring a lot of fulfillment if you get better and better at that over time which is what I'm always trying to do
0: yeah well so you're you're a rower so you're you're an athlete that's that's hard work especially you're (laughs) paddling out to the islands um that's early
1: work too it's early work it's not for those who like to sleep
0: (laughs) yeah um so yeah that's really impressive so you have twins that, I mean, sleep schedules and all of yeah, that. It was,
1: that's, it was that's really gnarly. Time. We we definitely benefited from a village. You know, I found just the other day, a note of thanks that I'd written to just a really impressively large number of people who came by and, you know, played with our older daughter and burped our younger ones and, you know, let us take showers or, you know, I don't know a lot of it's a blur, but that's true for a lot of parents. I know too, you know, once you get to those swapping those, those war stories of, parenting you know young children so
0: yeah and you know I recently did a story on Fran Wagnick and um, I asked her some of these questions and this may be a curveball um, that I'm asking you here but I think um, it's appropriate but you know you mentioned being you know an LGBT family and what that entails Um, and you know you're a role model whether you you seek it or not you know people will watch this hear this they know of it and they'll take inspiration from you so can you talk a little bit about being such a high profile role and how you deal, like, was that ever an issue with, you know, with parents, with, with parents of kids in the district? Did you ever feel like that was an issue that you had to overcome in terms of people disagreeing with you on topics or, or mm-hmm. maybe being upset with you and then they sort of bring that up or allude to it was that is that something you've had to struggle with at all in your role as principal or administrator just how difficult and ignorant people can be sometimes
1: yeah there I mean I definitely have a I have some stories along those lines but I wouldn't go so far as to say that I I struggled with them I'm not saying that they were pleasant um, or they weren't you know challenging for me to navigate but I think because of the kind of support and um, the good fortune I feel living in this community, I always felt like like those were uh, experiences that just kind of reinforced really the importance of stepping into the space and not letting those voices either tear deep me down, you know, personally, or as, as representing you know, a broader community. Um, I think, you know, the thing I would want to say. And I I imagine this might be something that people would be able to relate to, whether, you know, around different aspects of identity, not just sexuality, but race or class or other things. Um, I think some of the greatest struggles are really internal ones, you know, thing, voices we have in our head about what you should or shouldn't do or what is available to us or not or what we should or shouldn't say. So I, I would just offer that that's been more of what I would call a struggle for me over time and less so over time. <laughs> um, but a little differently from some of those other things one one myth about you know coming out uh, if you're a person in the lgbtq community is it's not uh, it's not a it is a date on the calendar it might be like hey in october you know of 1999 or whatever it is but it's also something you do all the time every you have to make a decision around every time you meet a new person or get a new job or in a new context you have to make some kind of decision about about disclosure I mean, even subconsciously so you know, those are some of the things that that have characterized what my experience has
0: been. Great. Well said. Let's go back to young Sean, you grew up on the East Coast. Uh, Did you have dreams of being a teacher and an educator from the start? Uh, Talk to me about how you found this sort of passion.
1: Um, well, I'll start with young adult, Sean, and go backwards because actually I was really hell bent on not being a teacher. And that's because both my parents were educators. Okay.
0: <laughs> so
1: they were, uh, my dad was, a uh, I mean, I, he did a, a few different things, but, but I grew up in a one high school town in Williamsburg, Virginia, and he taught 30 years at the same high school, the one I attended a one high school town. Um, and he was a woodshop teacher. So I spent a lot of time in a shop and then he was a career technical educator, um, my mom was a guidance counselor. Went on to work at William Mary as an admissions dean there for many, many years, and then actually came back to end her career as an, as a guidance counselor once again. Um, and I come from you know a lot, a lot of my extended family is in education also. So when I when I first graduated college, I was going to be a, a diplomat and work for the foreign service, and you know I had I'd done uh, had some experiences abroad at that point in college. Um, and I think the first line of my application to the teacher education program at UCSB was I've spent most of my life trying not to be in education. But I found myself before I knew it, you know, looking up in the classifieds, that's what you, how you got a job then. Oh, they need help at Santa High. Oh, they need educators. Oh, they need some with bilingual skills. Oh, I'll just do that while I get my credential. It's good to have in my back pocket. So I just sort of, you know, kept finding myself just drawn to not just education and young people and students um, at at the core, but really the system that is public education. And I think that goes back to, um, you know, younger Sean and the place that I'm from, which is, you know, a place that some people know from sixth grade field trips or (laughs) um, other kinds of just, you know, visiting as a tourist maybe, But, but where my house was situated was pretty equidistant between You know, some of the first meetings of the Continental Congress, where forefathers, you know, articulated their enlightenment ideals about what it meant for everybody to have their inalienable rights of freedom. And, you know, 10 minutes down the road this way, where we forcibly removed Native Americans and brought the first enslaved Africans to our shores. So I just literally lived in this tension of contradiction in my childhood that wasn't spoken, but that I think sort of was underpinning my sense-making about the world, and how can we celebrate, and I have a deep sense of patriotism um, and connection, you know, all all of this. Well, in our midst, I grew up in a very segregated community, which played out in the schools, especially once we got to the secondary part of our schools. You know, I sort of um, lost friends and classmates of mine who still were my neighbors, but I didn't cross paths with them in the same way anymore. And so that just always um, was something just, you know, something that I'm still grappling with today, I would say that it just kept being part of the call back to, to the system that is public education. So I know people say like, you know, maybe it's a little trite to say that public education is the cornerstone of our democracy. And I say that all the time. And I really believe that. But for me, it's really deeply personal because of this. Um, just very contradictory experience I had as a child growing up. And I, and I, you know, speaking to my parents, I watched them try to rectify and reconcile that in their own, um, in their personal life and in their professional life, um, and to make a difference in that way and to succeed with that. But it's, it's hard work. That's going to take people of color and white people. And it's, and we're not anywhere close to being done with that work.
0: Yeah, and and you said you went to UCSB for grad school. Is that mm-hmm. correct? Um, and so was it that UCSB just had the program that you wanted, or um, what brought you to Santa Barbara, the beach? You came here, fell in love, like so many people. Or yeah, can you talk about that?
1: Sure. It was. I mean, it was kind of a a, a whim. Really, I'd graduated from college and I had a, a teaching fellowship in Brazil. My major was Latin American studies, so I. Sp- you know, spoke and speak Spanish. Um, And at that time, I actually spoke pretty good Portuguese as well. Um, But it fell through, they had an economic collapse, I was going to teach at the American School in Rio. And so then I just was kind of in Williamsburg, I had played the harpsichord, my brother was in the fife and drum corps. And so I was just looking at a year of living in Williamsburg. Uh, Or I had a friend driving west to do outdoor ed, because that's something that we didn't have in Virginia, but you have here, you know, the sixth graders who go to camp and different places. And I just asked if I could hitch a ride. And he dropped me off at the Chevron on Coast Village Road. And I thought that was Santa Barbara. I mean, it was pretty sight unseen. <laughs> so I had a friend here that I'd met abroad in Chile. Oh. we had studied abroad in Chile. And she was like, you should come out to Santa Barbara. You know, you'd love it here. You'd save money, you know, work and save money. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then, yeah, I already explained the rest how it just kind of turned into one thing after another from there and couldn't couldn't find myself leaving. Although I have this funny story where when it seemed like I was finally staying enough for my dad to drive out an upright piano that was, you know, cluttering up their living room and he made this cross-country trip and we're, you know, all my ex-friends that helped me move the piano into a house, right? Because it's such a grueling task. We're situating it into the dining room and a friend of mine who's a teacher at Santa Barbara Junior High is like, you won't believe this, but there's a moving tag on this piano all yellowed and, you know, fragile and it says Santa Barbara, California, So it's the piano I learned to to play piano on and been all over the world in the Navy with my mom's family. And here,
0: Here I think
1: I was just meant to be in Santa Barbara, Mm -hmm. I guess.
0: Oh, that's crazy. That's such a coincidence. Um, Let's talk, Sean, about your new new sort of uh, journey here, your new venture. When I found out that you were not going to be at the district anymore, it was a, a shocker because you were somebody who, you know, you sort of think someday she's going to be the superintendent, you know, so I know that it's a, there's a lot of reasons why you left. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why a lot of people left the district. What are you doing at Santa Barbara County Office of Education? What is your, what's your role there? What, how are people going to interface with you going forward?
1: Um, So my title is, it's a great title, Director of School and District Support. Okay. Um, I love it for its ambiguity. <laughs> um, and I love it for its um, I, what, what I what promised to be, I think, a lot of a lot of f- flexibility, um, because I and I want to be very mindful of the fact that I'm very new on this team. And it's clearly a team of very um, competent and varied folks who have varied backgrounds and skill sets and with a lot of expertise. So here I am sort of representing our, our division and, and the county office as a very, very new member of the, the team um, who's been very welcoming t- to me. Um, but a really important, I would just say, precept that I've picked up on already is, you know, meeting schools and districts where they are. And that's the that's how support has to, has to work. Um, and we're in this incredibly complex context of public education in the state of California, which is always figuring itself out and um, which is absolutely driven by, th- by this idea that educators know best and localities know best, but then it's tempered by this need for accountability and compliance. Um, and I think that's where the you know I'm, I'm picking up early on sort of the value among many things, but at least in my role here at the county office. Um, I think one of the things that that is really really an asset and a resource for folks is just kind of bridging those things, sort of what we want to be doing in education with what we have to do to be able to do what we want to do. (laughs) And so there's 20 different districts in the County and 10 charter schools. And I'm just learning a lot. I'm learning a lot uh, already about how differently, I mean, there's school districts that don't even have triple digit numbers of students. Um, And then there's really large ones with 17,000, you know, all in elementary school. So we have to, um be able to provide services and resources for school districts and schools of all shapes and sizes. And that's a really that's a really neat part of, of the job for me, um, having just explained sort of what's always been attractive to me about understanding how education works and what I believe its potential to be and and making a difference for the way our society operates it feels sort of like when you do a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> And you can kind of really see one part of it really well. Like when I'm a classroom teacher, and I've really, let's say it's like a farm scene, I've really got the barnyard down. Like I know where all the pigs and sheep go, or whatever. But somebody over here, or I go to be a principal, and I'm working on the barn. Now I see the structure, I see the, and then you go to the district. Now the farmhouse and the, you know what goes on in the kitchen. And I'm just sort of seeing the whole, you know, picture come into focus of the way the system of education works. I think that's really. Um, valuable for me. I'm not yet 50. I have a lot of years left. I don't plan to leave this beautiful community. You've been hearing how much I'm in love with it. So don't count me out. You know, maybe one day I'll uh, be back at a district office and I know I'll be uh, wherever I am. And even if it's, it's here over, over the years and remaining my career, I'll be wiser
0: and better for having had this experience. Yeah, that's, that's well said. You are learning and that's a good example, right? Sometimes in life, sometimes in our careers, we have to uh, learn new jobs. We have to take different jobs. We have to go in a different direction. And uh, maybe we, we go back to where we were later when the culture changes, you never know where things are going to, going to, going to wind up. But from everybody who has talked about to me about your new position, they're super excited about, you know, what you're going to do in this, in that new role. So that's really exciting. You know, Sean, uh, this has been a really good conversation. It's been such a pleasure to be able to talk to you in this format. And I look forward to more conversations in my reporting on all the stuff you're working on in your new role. I kind of want to end though, with uh, just sort of giving you a, a little bit of a space, a platform to talk about the issue that, you've worked on that so many of the administrators and teachers have been working on you know we're at this time of greater awareness of the importance of you know social emotional health, uh, inclusion, diversity students need to feel safe before they can learn and I think that when people talk about teach them math teach them English and yes I'm impersonating people I shouldn't but when they do that, For some people, yes, they're ready to walk into the classroom and focus on that. But for so many students, there's so much going on in their other part of their lives that it's not that transition. It's something where they need to be able to feel like they're going to be heard in the classroom, that the way they learn is going to be responded to. It's not just one way of dealing with students. So can you talk about Your views, your thoughts, your advice on how we continue to help all students feel included on all of our campuses throughout Santa Barbara County, feel included so that they can show how amazing they are and we can get the most out of every one of our students.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for the question, because it's definitely not about not teaching math and English. It's absolutely what everyone um, wants for all students and at high levels. Um, You know, I have a quote up here on my wall that's about making sure that our system is continuing to realize its promise of being the great equalizer instead of what it seems like it's happening. Sometimes this is to continue to be the great stratifier. Um, And, you know, that's just something that we I I think we're not going to achieve transformational change without bravely letting go of things as we've known them. So things like social emotional learning, um, implementation of ethnic studies, which I'm so proud that Santa Barbara Unified was a forerunner of, you know, in advance of the state requirement that there be ethnic studies in high schools as a grad as a grad requirement. Those are not add-ons. <laughs> those are not uh, things we must do. Those are those are the thing. That is what that's where we must begin is by um, really putting the needs of the of you know, all of the needs of a student at the center of our thinking about how best to help, help that student l- learn um, really seeing all aspects of a student's identity um, and if we don't understand all aspects of a student's identity, pausing and making sure that we build bridges toward that because if if, if students are not fully present, in the form of being fully seen, fully valued, um, experiencing a sense of belonging, their, their learning is curtailed, their learning is limited. So it's not about doing these, these initiatives that we hear so much about in the news and in school districts across our, our country, even um, at, as new or add-on things. It's about making them the thing and really doing a paradigm shift there if we want to see different, different outcomes, if we really want to see transformation. And it means that People in the people of privilege, uh, or in the dominant culture, or people who've had experience uh, and have benefited from the system as it's been, and that includes me. You know, Um, I'm very I'm very aware of that. Although I sometimes forget and need to be reminding myself or asking others to help me to be reminded that's part of how bias works. Um, We need to we need to talk less, listen more, make sure uh, it's a crowded table. You know, and it's not about. I don't think it's about some people stepping away from the table to make space. Although sometimes some people might think that I think it's about understanding this needs to be a very big and crowded table.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well said, Sean Carey. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to seeing all the amazing work you're going to do at the Santa Barbara County office of education. And thanks a lot for taking some time to, to download just a little bit of everything that you've been involved with for the past 25 years plus. So Have a great day. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you, Josh.